Well, hi everyone, it's Pastor Andy. Before we go to the recording of today's sermon, I wanted to provide a brief introduction here since we had a technical issue with the recording of the the live sermon and uh, the first few minutes wasn't recorded. Uh, We've been on a series I began a few weeks ago called Understanding Our Authority, where we've been learning about Jesus's authority that he delegated to us and why and how to walk in that authority. And essentially it's all about advancing God's kingdom in the earth. Well, today's teaching, part four in our series, is going to be built upon the foundation of our master text, which is found in 2 Timothy 2, verses 20 through 22. And I'm going to read this out of the English Standard Version. And it reads, Now in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use and some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Well, in last week's teaching, I singled out a young man who was a newcomer to our church by the name of Clayton Knapp. And Clayton emailed me some very good questions a couple of weeks ago, and and in this teaching, I singled out Clayton yet again because of what he said in another email he sent me after last week's teaching. And, uh, And so this is so good that I had to share it with the rest of the congregation because it so well summarizes the goal of this series. He writes, I'm finally understanding the relationship God wants to have with me. It's not just about me doing things to make God happy, but it is literally doing work for and with God doing the things on this earth in his authority that advance his kingdom and fight against evil and not accepting evil as God's plan. Well, Clayton just summed up in two sentences what this whole series is about. So that's a really good way to kick off today's sermon. So let's now go to the live recording for the rest of the teaching. I want to piggyback off of that statement that he made right there. In order to keep from falling into legalism, folks, we have to constantly remind ourselves that God is already appeased because of the cross, okay? Your sins and mine were already dealt with there, and if you simply accept by faith the finished work of the Savior, your sins and mine are washed by the blood of the Savior, But we also have to recognize that there's a ditch on the other side of the road. Okay, so let's talk about that for a moment. We have to acknowledge that we can run the risk of failing to be useful to God and the advancement of his kingdom by our own selfishness and our own sinful actions. So the bullseye is this. Again, to avoid the ditches on both sides of the road, the bullseye is this. You and I are saved by grace alone through faith in Jesus Christ. And that grace makes me right with God even on my worst day. Out of a gratitude then for such a great love, I willingly lay my life down to be a disciple of Christ. Listen to me. To be a disciple of Christ, not just believing in him, but being a disciple of Jesus, a follower and an imitator of Christ. See, that's our love response to him. And part of that means joining him in the kingdom advancement uh, that he is involved in, in the earth. Joining him in his advancement of the kingdom in the earth. All right, so here's our key concept this morning. Zone in on this. 
A life consecrated to God in holiness is a life that God can use in greater and greater ways. But a life full of compromise is not as useful because one's conscience will condemn him or her, undermining our authority. I feel like I need to, to say this again. Let's, let's go back over it again. I want, I want this to sink in. A life consecrated to God in holiness is a life that God can use in greater and greater ways. But a life full of compromise is not as useful because one's conscience will condemn him or her, undermining our authority. And you can write that down. Now, a scriptural reference that pertains to this is uh, found in 1 John 3, verses 21 and 22. Uh, Listen to what it says. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from him anything we ask because we keep his commands and do what pleases him. Now, I want you to notice who's doing the condemning here. It's not God. It's your own heart that's condemning you, okay? It's your own conscience that's condemning you. And the, the accuser of the brethren, Satan, will certainly take advantage of that, folks. See, his little demons will whisper in your ear and tell you that you're not like other Christians. You're especially flawed. And you can't do all the things that you see other Christians doing because you're so sinful. Okay? I won't ask you to raise your hands how many of you have dealt with that little conversation. (laughs) Yeah, I think all of us have. So you see, we need to keep a clear conscience because um, if we don't, the, the enemy has access to our hearts and our thoughts and can therefore undermine our authority in Christ. Is that making sense? We need to keep a clear conscience because if we don't, we give access to the enemy to undermine our fruitfulness, to undermine our authority. All right. With that in mind, I want to ask you, who rules you? Who rules you? Proverbs 25, 28 says, Like a city with broken down walls is a man who lacks self-control. Like a city with broken down walls is a man who lacks self-control. What does a broken down wall represent? Vulnerability. Vulnerability. Weakness. Access into our hearts and lives. Of course, this is using the analogy of an ancient city where they built up these big walls. If there was a breach in the wall, an invading army would be able to access that city very, very easily and take it over. It's the same kind of picture that God is using here in our lives. Okay? If we lack self-control, the enemy has an access point into our hearts and lives. So then I want you to understand that disobedience opens the door to the enemy to come in and wreak havoc on your life. Whereas obedience slams the door shut on him and opens the door to more of the power and blessing of God in your life. So I want to just briefly quote here Romans 6.16 on this point. And it says this, Do you not know that when you offer yourself as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one you obey? whether you're slaves to sin leading to death or to obedience leading to righteousness. See, look, you'll be influenced and dominated and ruled by whomever you yield yourself to, either God or Satan. Do you want to be dominated by Satan? Just go ahead and keep yielding to him. You want to be dominated by God? Then go ahead and yield to him. 
See, most people don't recognize how much impact their actions have in the spiritual realm and therefore eventually in the physical realm. Okay, are you with me? I'm not losing you, am I? Okay, all right. So then, here's a key thought right here. Your thoughts, attitudes, and actions are either releasing the power of God in your life or they are releasing the power of hell itself. And I want to make a point here. Sometimes the power of hell itself, it can be very, very subtle in your life. You don't even realize it's happening sometimes because it creeps up on you very slowly. You know, Satan doesn't come in your front door with uh, red long johns on. And, and horns and a pitchfork and tell you what he's going to do to you. He comes in very, very subtly, sometimes disguised, the Bible says, as an angel of light. So some people may be thinking, well, you know, I haven't really been walking with the Lord, but I, I don't see this working, the power of hell being released in my life. Um, wait a little while. Because the power of hell will be very, very evident in your life if you keep doing what you're doing. Okay, God wants to release the power of God in your life through obedience and yielding to him. Folks, if you haven't already noticed, there is a spiritual battle raging all around us, whether you like it or not. And there's a spiritual battle, in fact, raging this very moment for your heart and your mind and your attention. See, Satan is constantly trying to lure you into sin so that he can bring destruction into your life. He's trying to constantly lure you into sin and or wrong thinking so that he can undermine the power and authority that Christ has delegated to you in the earth. And Satan wants to undermine that. But God is trying to constantly to get you to respond to him, you see, so that he can position you for greater blessing, power and fruitfulness and greater measures of exercising your authority in the earth, like we've been talking about these last three weeks. If, um, if this is your first time here today, I know we have at least a couple of couples, this is your first time, go back and listen to the first three teachings on this to really understand the authority in Christ that we've been delegated, that we've been talking about these last three weeks, because Satan wants to undermine that, and that's the purpose of this teaching Today, Satan wants to undermine the authority that God has given to you. Now, I want you all to know here, every single one of you, without exception, have a destiny. Without exception, God has called you to this earth, created you for a reason, because he has something very specific in mind for you to accomplish in this earth. See, 1 John 2.20 says, you have an anointing. From the Holy One, an anointing. What's that term anointing mean? What's that referring to? Well, anointing is the, the Greek word chrisma, and it means a special endowment. That's what that means. It often refers to the teaching ministry of the Holy Spirit guiding the receptive believer into the fullness of God's perfect and complete will. So you could say it this way you have a sacred appointment. Now, just because you have an anointing, just because you have a purpose, just because you have a sacred appointment doesn't mean you're automatically going to fulfill that. That doesn't automatically mean you're going to walk in the fruition of that because, like our topic is today, sin can take you down a road that totally derails your ministry and your calling. 
completely derails it. And I can think of at least two or three different very prominent pastors right now had a tremendous calling and anointing on their lives, but because of sin in their own lives that later became public, it completely derailed their anointing and really, really affected their, their calling. So that's the topic of today. We don't want to allow Satan to undermine our authority and power and the anointing and the calling that God has on each one of you. And some of you might be thinking, well, you know, I'm just little old me. I'm shy and don't have much to offer. And what could God ever use me for? Don't ever say that. You're, you're limiting the awesome power of God. And I like to remind you from time to time that God uses the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. He loves doing that, as a matter of fact. He delights in that because you know why? It's because when we are weak, he has more opportunity to show himself strong. So if nothing else, you can stay home and just intercede and pray for people. That's a calling right there. Hallelujah. So again, you have a sacred appointment. You were born for a reason. You were born for just such a time as this. And listen, look at the screen. Satan is terrified of your anointing. Because the anointing was given to equip you to carry on Christ's work, which the Bible says will crush Satan's head. I love that reference in Romans 16.20 where it says, Our God will soon crush Satan under your feet. Under your feet. Hallelujah. So Satan is constantly trying to defend his turf by getting you into strife, unbelief, negative emotions, and other sins so that he can trip you up and keep you ineffective in your anointing. And that's his whole purpose. And, and constantly trying to wear you down and work on your Achilles heel, your, your weak areas, so that he can lure you into sin and then make your calling and anointing ineffective. I want to read to you something that uh, one of my favorite TV preachers, Andrew Womack, says. Now, I realize that some of the ministers and preachers on TV are not all they say they are, but there's some really good ones. There's some really good ones, and I like Andrew Womack. I want to quote here what he says that so relates to our topic today. Listen very carefully. You can read along with me. I minister to people all the time, he says, who desire the results they see in my life but aren't willing to do what I do. They want to sit and watch soap operas on television. They watch R and X-rated movies and indulging negative emotions that I would never indulge. I recognize that there's a spiritual battle going on, and if I ever began to open up and allow such things into my heart and mind, Satan would take advantage of it. So I live a very restricted life, refraining from many things that other people do. He goes on. Although many people would like to see blind eyes and deaf ears opened, terminal diseases healed, the dead raised, and financial blessings manifest the way that I have by God's grace, they're not willing to spend the time yielding to and fellowshipping with the Lord in His Word, prayer, and obedience. They'd rather be indulging their flesh and thinking, it's not really hurting me to do all this stuff. It may not hurt them at the moment, but seeds are being planted. And when seeds are planted, there's always a harvest time later on. 
You know, I want to give you an example of this in my life by talking about my own personal decision to abstain from alcohol. Now, I'm not preaching against alcohol right now, okay, because there's actually no chapter and verse in the Bible uh, that um, is any prohibition against drinking alcohol. Now, clearly, there is in the Bible a prohibition against drunkenness and abusing alcohol. That much is very, very true. But there's no pro, you know, broad-based prohibition in the Bible against drinking alcohol. But having said that, there's principles in the Bible, however, about avoiding the very appearance of evil and also of not putting stumbling blocks in people's way. So for me, and listen, this is just for me. Now, this is not necessarily for you. I'm just using this as an example, okay? Um, but for me, I, I avoid alcohol for two reasons. To avoid looking like I'm doing something wrong, and therefore to avoid putting a stumbling block in someone's faith journey who may misinterpret my actions. Am I making sense? Okay? You know, I remember going through a, a process about this because I haven't always felt this way. I haven't always thought this way on this topic. In fact, I can remember uh, many years ago, I was uh, traveling for business and I was eating at a nice restaurant and I was having a glass of wine with uh, my meal. And I was by myself, so I wasn't doing anything wrong. And all of a sudden, right in the middle of my meal, I sensed the voice of God talking to me. Now, I don't mean I heard an audible voice. That's not what I mean. It just it means I, I felt an unction. I, I, I sensed him talking to me down on the inside of me. And right in the middle of my meal, you know, God sometimes will interrupt you to speak to you. And I'm enjoying this nice, healthy meal at one of my favorite restaurants. And right in the middle of the meal, I sensed the voice of God talking to me very strongly. And he said these words, I don't ever want you to drink alcohol again. Just like that, real firmly, just like that. And I haven't drank since, by the way. And I can't say that I haven't wanted to uh, have a glass of wine every now and then because I actually enjoy a few dinner wines. But for me, and again, this is just for me. You do with this whatever you want. This is just an example. But for me, it's worth it to give up that little indulgence if it will make me more effective for his kingdom. And, you know, being a pastor, I just think that it's probably the right thing to do for me to avoid uh, something that could be taken the wrong way by someone, even if it's only one person. Now, I heard another pastor talking about this, and he said that, you know, he doesn't really have a problem with alcohol personally, and he doesn't think that it's especially sinful if someone has a glass of wine every now and then. But he went on to say that the reason that he's chosen to not drink himself is because from time to time, someone will come to him and ask, Pastor, do you drink alcohol? And he said he's so happy for their sake that he can honestly say, no, I don't drink. And therein lies the principle that I'm trying to get across to you. I'm, again, my message isn't alcohol. That's just a, an example that I'm using. I'm trying to get a principle across to you this morning um, because, you know, there are certain things that we might do that might not even be wrong in and of themselves. But if there's any possibility that it could hinder my witness or make me more carnal or more worldly or less effective in advancing God's kingdom, that I'm willing to give that thing up for Christ's sake and the sake of his kingdom. 
And that's the very thing the Apostle Paul was talking about, by the way, in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, when he addressed the subject of eating meat that had been sacrificed to an idol. This was a question that came up in his time. And Paul said this. He said, you know, I'm convinced that it's not wrong to eat meat sacrificed to an idol because what is an idol? It's a hunk of wood. It's a piece of metal. It's a nothing. So I'm convinced that it's not wrong to eat meat that's been sacrificed to an idol. But then Paul went on to say, however, that if it could put a stumbling block in someone else's path, then Paul went on to write that he would be willing to even become a vegetarian for the sake of Christ's kingdom if that's what it took, if he thought that that would really help something. See, do you see the two different perspectives at work here? See, because on the one hand, a person could say, well, I'm of the opinion that it's not wrong to eat meat sacrificed to an idol, so I'm just going to go ahead and indulge all I want, and nobody better tell me that I can't. Well, folks, listen, that's a selfish perspective. If you care about the advancement of God's kingdom, that's a selfish perspective, because the other perspective is this, even if a certain thing isn't wrong, if it makes my witness for Christ suffer, then I'm happy to set it aside, even if it's not wrong. Okay, now listen, boy, it's real quiet right now. Um, <laughs> you all are really liking this right now, I can tell. Okay. <laughs> so folks, listen, Jesus gave up so much so that I could be saved. So it's not a big deal for me to give up a little indulgence to shine a better light for his sake. You agree with that? Does that make sense? Okay. See, if there's... Anything that will undermine our authority and make me less fruitful and less effective in advancing his kingdom, then I think that we should want to deal with that. Don't you agree? Praise God. But you know what? There's a lot of Christians who haven't even gotten that far in their thinking because they're still stuck on the clearly sinful stuff like what Andrew Walmack is talking about here in this quote. They think they can indulge all these seemingly harmless sins and still be okay and then wonder why they have no power or faith in their lives. There's cause and effect, folks. There's cause and effect. So I want you to remember this right here. You cannot have power over the enemy as long as you are yielding to him. Hello. We've been talking about our delegated power and authority in this series. The authority that Christ has delegated to us in the earth to advance his kingdom. And we all want to grow and be more fruitful and, and have more of that kind of power. But you can't have power over the enemy as long as you keep yielding to him. Amen? So I want you to lean in on this little quote right here. I don't know who said this, but I heard this somewhere. That every little action of the common day makes or breaks character. Every little action of the common day makes or breaks character. And Oswald Chambers said it this way, sin is not weakness. I want to thank Tammy Pennington for this quote right here. Is Tammy in the room today? No? Uh, she sent me this. I think this is a really great quote. Uh, sin is not weakness. It is a disease. It is red-handed rebellion against God. And the magnitude of that rebellion is expressed by Calvary's cross. 
In other words, the awfulness of what Jesus had to go through on the cross, it took that to forgive us of that red-handed rebellion against God. And out of an expression of thankfulness to God, we should want to adjust our behavior by saying, thank you, God, you saved me out of sin, hell, death, and the grave. Now what can I do for you? Amen. Amen. So sin is not weakness, it's a disease. It's red-handed rebellion against God. And the magnitude of that rebellion is expressed by Calvary's cross. And that's the perspective that we need to have, ladies and gentlemen. See, as long as we coddle our sins, like, oh, this is just my little personal problem that I'm working on, right? As long as we have that attitude toward our sins, there's no hope in gaining much victory over them. But when we see our sins as what they really are, blatant rebellion against God, then we can begin making some progress and overcoming them consistently. Listen, church, stop comparing yourself to the culture around you when it comes to your character. See, as long as you do that, you'll tolerate all kinds of wrong thinking and wrong behavior because, hey, at least you're not like your next-door neighbor who's going out on his wife all the time, right? No, no, don't compare yourself to that. Uh, you may not be sleeping around, but, but we need to see the inward sins, like lust of the heart, as an example, as also rebellion against God as well. You may not be cursing people out when you get mad at them, but do you murder someone's reputation by talking about them to all your friends when they offend you? See, Jesus said that God doesn't just look on the outward appearance. He looks on the heart as well. All right? So when we can begin dealing with even the sins that other people don't see with as much tenacity as the outward ones, then we'll really start seeing victory, and then we'll really start being even more useful for God's kingdom. Are you following this so far? Okay. Now, <clears throat> I want to ask you who wins in your life, because you decide who wins, Satan or God. You decide who wins. And let me explore what I mean by that. In John 10.10, we quote it all the time, um, in the New King James Version, it says, the thief, or the devil, does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. But I have come that they may have life and they may have it more abundantly. And I like the way the, the Berean Study Bible quotes this too. It says, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come, Jesus said, that they may have life and have it in all its fullness. That's God's desire for you, that you live your life more abundantly. He doesn't want you under the circumstances all the time, not that you won't ever face challenges and problems, but he doesn't want you under the circumstances all the time. He wants you to live your life more abundantly, quite the opposite of what Satan has in mind for you. More abundant life, but how do you get there? Well, one of the ways that you get there is stop yielding to Satan all the time. That's one way you get there. See, Jesus is trying to release blessing and power in your life, folks, while Satan is trying to rob you of that fullness. See, your life, listen to this, your life is a sum total right now of the seeds that you have sown and 
the harvest that you are now reaping. Think about it. That your life right now is a sum total because everything is sowing and reaping in God's kingdom. Everything is sowing and reaping. What you sow, that shall you also reap, Jesus said. Or I think it's Galatians. And um, so therefore, you can look around at your life right now. Now, I realize that in some respects, you're the collateral damage of someone else's bad choices. And there are certain things that you did not have control over. So I want to acknowledge that before I reemphasize this point. But to a large degree, your life is a sum total right now of the seeds that you have sown and the harvest that you're now reaping. But the beauty about sowing and reaping is if you don't like the harvest you're getting right now, start planting different seeds, and down the road, you'll reap a different harvest. That's the way it works. That's the way it works. You see, listen to this. God and Satan are both pursuing you. God and Satan are both pursuing you. See, the Bible says that Satan prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. So he's seeking you. He's he's looking for an opportunity to wreak havoc in your life. But God is seeking people who are fully devoted to him, fully devoted to him, so that he, he can show himself strong on their behalf. Don't you want God to show himself strong on your behalf? He's looking for people who are fully uncompromisingly devoted to him. And when you live like that, God says that he will show himself faithful and strong to people like that. So who wins out, Satan or God, is largely determined by who you are responding to the most. So you can write this down right here. The determining factor is me. Write that down. The determining factor is me. All right, now, what I'm going to do right now, I'm going to give you just some basic concepts for overcoming sin patterns in your life. Some basic concepts for overcoming sin patterns in your life. And the first one is this. Quote, little sins always give way to bigger ones eventually. That's a huge concept right there. The quote, little sins will always give way to bigger ones eventually. So what we need to be doing is striving for moral excellence. Moral excellence. All right, you see, the reason that you and I can't trifle with even the little stuff is because if we allow the small stuff and tolerate it, then we set ourselves up for bigger things to sneak up on us um, because, you see, we're not practiced in exercising our resistance muscles, so to speak, where sin is concerned. Folks, listen, if we can't even resist the small stuff when they come along, how can we hope to overcome the bigger things when they rear their ugly heads? See, we tend to drift off course by very small degrees. It goes on very unnoticed many times because we drift off course by very small degrees. So if we aren't careful, those little sins will lead us down a path toward the bigger and more damaging sins later on. I remember one summer I was vacationing in, in Florida and I took an inflatable raft and I took it out beyond the waves and the breakers 
uh, I don't know, about 200 yards or so out into the ocean. And I just laid on that raft and enjoying the sun and, and uh, relaxing with my eyes closed. And it was just so comfortable and, and uh, so enjoyable. So I, I laid there what ended up being quite a long time with my eyes closed. And when I finally opened my eyes and looked around, I realized I had drifted so far out into the ocean away from the shore that when I looked back on the shore, I almost had a slight panic attack because the people looked like little tiny specks. So, so I had drifted very far from safety because I got comfortable and complacent, you see, and I wasn't paying attention to my surroundings. I wasn't being diligent. And um, I think that's a, a, a way that a lot of people live their lives which, like I talked about last week, is why a lot of bad things happen to even Christian people sometimes because so often we aren't disciplined and wise in how we conduct ourselves. Does that make sense? See, sometimes we are our own worst enemies. The Bible says this in Proverbs 19.3. I'm going to quote it in the New Living Translation. A fool ruins his life by his own foolishness, and then his heart rages against the Lord. Wow, isn't that true? By our own bad choices, we bring havoc into our lives. Then we shake our fist at God and say, how could you let this happen? If we'd been following his word and obeying it, it wouldn't have happened. Because God always has in mind for you to bless you. Even when he so-called restricts your life, like Andrew Walmart was talking about, he he says that he lives a very restricted life, but he enjoys so many blessings that other people don't enjoy. So if we restrict ourselves from the things that God says, and don't do that, and don't do that, and do this, he's always got in mind to bless you and to advance his kingdom through you. It's not to keep you from having fun, for goodness sake. It's to protect you from the landmines of life. We talked about in our New Believers class this past Wednesday, I used the analogy of a a mom or dad warning a young child of the dangers of touching a hot stove. It's not because they were trying to restrict our children from having fun, it's to protect them from harm. Because if that little child has to learn the hard way and touches that stove themselves, there could be irreparable damage that's done. And God wants to protect you from that. It's not his intention to keep you from having fun. It's his intention to bless you. And if we can say no on the front end, we'll enjoy the blessings on the back end. But so many people are saying yes to all this junk on the front end, and they they have to experience the curses of that on the back end. And the curses may not come till years later, but they're coming. Because be not deceived, God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man sows, that shall he also reap. You know, the whole problem with a lot of people, folks, even in the church, is compromise. It's compromise. See, the Bible says that it's the little foxes that spoil the vine, right? Things like, I'm just going to give you a really partial list here of things that are kind of socially acceptable. But God says that we need to pay attention to these things. Outbursts of anger, selfish ambitions, divisions between people, envy, slander, gossip, Filthy language, um, lust, and highly questionable forms of entertainment. 
But Jesus didn't call us to be compromisers, folks. He called us to spiritual excellence. He called us to spiritual excellence. So, that being said, I'm going to read to you Matthew 5, 48, and I want to explain what this means for a moment because this verse had me perplexed for a long time. And this is Jesus speaking, and he says, Be perfect, therefore, even as your heavenly Father is perfect. And that just never resonated with me for such a long time because I look at my own imperfections and I go, How can I ever attain perfection, for goodness sake? Well, let me elaborate on what this means. In the Greek, that uh, word perfect is the word teleos, which means complete in all its parts, full grown, of full age, especially of the completeness of Christian character. The completeness of Christian character. So I think this is a really, really important concept to consider. We need to be growing to that fullness and completion of maturity in Christian character. So what's talking about. Now, for some reason, a lot of Christians have adopted the attitude, well, we're just old sinners saved by grace, so we all have to sin a little bit every day. Folks, that's not in the Bible. That is not in the Bible. I mean, where do people come up with this stuff? Read the Bible, for goodness sake. <laughs> um, so, now, listen, I believe that it's possible to become more progressively holy and less sinful as we walk with Christ. And it's not only possible, but folks, it's expected. It's expected. And, you know, listen, I, I certainly have not reached a, a place of perfection yet, no way. But you know what? I've come to the place now of actually seeing that it might someday be possible. And I know that even as I say that, many of you bristle at that and go, huh? Because you're doing the same thing that I've done. You look at your imperfections and the extent of your imperfections and you go, there's no way. But I believe that God is, is recently giving me a, a revelation about this because I've never thought that way about myself because, again, of knowing how imperfect I am. But, again, I believe that God is wanting to change my perspective and get me to start thinking like a kingdom man and not a carnal, worldly man. Okay? See, I believe that someday, yes, even in, the, in this life perhaps, that perfection can someday be obtained. Now, I know that a lot of you, are, your, your minds are reeling with that right now. I believe that it's someday possible. And I also believe that there's some people in the Bible who did attain it. Now, there's nobody that's ever walked a sinless life on this earth except for Jesus. He's the only one. But I believe that there may be a, a handful of people in the Bible who later in their lives did possibly attain perfection. One example might be Enoch, who God just took him away one day. He didn't even die. God just took him away because of his closeness, the closeness of the relationship that he had with him. Elijah may have been another one. Uh, maybe Moses and perhaps Paul, the Apostle Paul. And that's why the Apostle Paul said, by the way, I press on toward the goal. Folks, he didn't say, I meander on toward the goal. No, he said, I press on toward the goal. See, that's language of, of, of energy and effort, isn't it, on his part? 
Now, you've got to work in partnership with God, but there's got to be some effort on your part as well to partner with God and cooperate with him. You press on toward the goal because all of us, look, if you're in Christ and you're trying to live a life that pleases God, you're going to swim against the stream of the culture every day. So that pressing on process requires that energy, requires that commitment to swim upstream against the current that you're seeing. That's going to be true of all of you. If you really want to walk in the fullness of your anointing, you're going to have to swim upstream a lot of the time. In the workplace, just about, man, this world has gotten so dark. It wants to pull you into that stream but you need to turn around and start swimming the other direction. And that takes effort, doesn't it? Press on toward the goal. Here's another concept of overcoming sin right here. Feast your eyes on the word of God, the Bible, every day in order to renew your mind. This is such an important principle here, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, And I'm referencing Romans 12, too, that we reference a lot in this church. But it's such a powerful and important concept that I want to interject it here again today. So it says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. How's your mind get renewed? By the word of God. The word of God is how you renew it. So we must bring our thoughts into submission, our thoughts into submission, because look, We have to control what goes on on the inside if we ever hope to master what's going on on the outside. I'm going to say that again. We have to begin to master what goes on on the inside before we ever hope to gain mastery of what's going on on the outside. Okay, So we have to turn on the flow of godly things into our lives and turn off the flow of ungodly things into our lives. And I'm just going to give you another example here where some of our entertainment choices are concerned. And I know I'm stepping on some toes this morning. I talked about alcohol a little earlier. And and again, well, I'm not going to go back into that. That was for me. Okay, That's what God said to me. But uh, God has also led me to make some similar choices regarding my entertainment choices. The movies that I choose to watch, TV shows. I really don't even watch TV shows anymore unless they're old reruns of Andy Griffith. Okay, because that's about the only thing out there that's, you know, has any wholesomeness to it these days. Um, And, uh, you know, music. You know, gosh, folks. You know, when I, when I first came to Christ, I listened to all kinds of trashy stuff and watched all kinds of trashy stuff. And I was telling the New Believers class the other day that one of my favorite shows before coming to Christ was Cheers. And I thought it was a really funny show, and I enjoyed it and didn't see anything really wrong with it. But then after I was walking with the Lord for about a year, I hadn't watched much TV. I just That was something that had kind of lost its appeal to me after I began walking with the Lord. But then I was just channel surfing one day, and I came across an old episode of Cheers. And I thought, oh, Cheers, I, I, I used to love Cheers. And not really thinking, not remembering what was in that show. And then I watched literally like 60 seconds of that show, and I went... Really? Um, I can't watch this show. Why? Because it offended me. It offended the spirit of God that's in me. And and I also had this concept in mind. You know, I struggle enough with uh, some of the the things that go on in my own mind and trying to, to, 
you know, walk with the Lord and purify my own heart and mind. I don't need that trash pumped into my heart and mind and deviating where I'm trying to go with the Lord. Does that make sense? It's like putting, um, you know, if you have a, a, a car that runs on high octane fuel and you put the cheap stuff in it, okay, it's going to start to knock and it's not going to perform as well. And I think that's true with our spiritual lives as well. God wants us to feed on his high-octane fuel of the Word of God. But if we put the world's junk into it, the low-grade stuff, it's going to cause us to malfunction spiritually. Does, does that make sense at all? So be very, very selective what you put in your heart and mind, not out of legalism's sake, but because you have a, a, a higher calling than to put that junk into your lives. I'm going to give you one more example of this. You know, Olympic athletes... They don't have a problem setting aside pizza and beer in order to attain their higher goal because they know that pizza and beer and donuts and what have you is going to impede their progress. So they, they happily set those things aside, not out of, a, out of some legalism, oh, because my coach told me to, but because they have a higher goal in mind and those things will impede their progress, so they happily set them aside so they can achieve their goal. That's the way we need to think. As New Testament believers wanting to advance God's kingdom in the earth, if there's things that will hinder your progress, then we need to be happy to set those things aside to excel in the things of God. Does that make sense? All right. Now, I want you to remember this saying right here. I don't know that I put this in your notes, so if you want to take a, a snapshot of this really quick, because this is a really important little saying here. Sow a thought, reap an act. Remember everything, sowing and reaping. Sow a thought, reap an act. Sow an act, reap a habit. Sow a habit, reap a lifestyle. Sow a lifestyle, reap a destiny. Okay? It's progressive, isn't it? It's progressive. It comes on by degrees. We have to pay very close attention to what we're thinking about, what we're putting into our hearts and minds. See, that's why I'm very selective about uh, what I watch, what I listen to, because I don't want that junk in my mind sowing those thoughts that, that may eventually reap an act. I, I don't want that process going on in my life. I want it to work that way in, in a good way. So, so let's read this again, but now let's think about it in the positive sense, okay? Sow a thought, like you're sowing thoughts this morning by listening to the word of God being proclaimed. Okay, sow a thought. See, the Holy Spirit's talking to some of you right now. So you sow those thoughts, you reap an act. Sow an act, reap a habit. Sow a habit, reap a lifestyle. Sow a lifestyle, reap a heavenly destiny. Praise God. All right, I'm going to end with uh, this thought right here, and then we're going to read a scripture and pray. But I want you to look at this picture, and I want you to ask yourself, who are you in this picture? Are you this person on the left being carried? Or are you this person on the right doing the carrying? These two soldiers on the field of battle. One's being carried off the field by this other soldier. So are you the one that's always needing to be carried by someone else? Or are you the one that's doing the carrying? See, one of the purposes for God wanting you to exercise your authority in the earth and to be an overcomer is so that you can strengthen other people around you. I'll say that again. 
One of the purposes for God wanting you to exercise your authority in the earth and to be an overcomer is so that you can strengthen the people around you. He wants to use you. Okay? Now listen, there's times that all of us need, to, need the strength and support of the others around us. And that's not, that's not wrong. That's why we have a church, by the way. So that we can support each other in times of distress and weakness. But God does not want you living from crisis to crisis all the time. He wants you to live from glory to glory. Praise God. Now, now yes, you'll have challenges and, and battles to fight along the way. That's true. But in the midst of these battles, we should make enough progress in our lives, folks, that we're able to help others who are struggling. And that's part of advancing God's kingdom, helping others who are struggling. Okay, so I want to read you this passage. This really ministered to me. This is um, uh, about Peter when he, or Peter, or otherwise called Simon, when he denied Jesus, right before he denied Jesus. And Jesus, the Lord, said to him, Simon, Simon, indeed, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. Remember we talked about that last week? But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. But then I love what Jesus goes on to say after this. Listen to this. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. I just love that. Out of Luke twenty-two thirty-two, I just love that. Because Jesus was basically saying this. He was prophesying to Peter. And he said, you're, you're about to be tested. And I've seen what's about to happen in the prophetic. In the spiritual realm, I've seen what's about to happen. And you're going to fail that test. You're going to deny me, and you're going to fail that test. But then he, oh, he shows such great confidence in Peter. And I just love this. Because he shows such great confidence in you and me as well when we fail. And he gives them a little assignment, doesn't he? He says, and when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. Amen. Don't you love that? So Jesus knows that we're going to fail from time to time. But when you've gotten back up off your feet, dusted yourself off, started moving forward again, then turn, learn from your mistake, Teach others how to avoid the same mistake that you just made and strengthen your brethren. And that's exactly what Peter did. I just, I just love that. I don't know if that ministers to you the way that it ministers to me, but I've fallen flat on my face so many times, folks. I just I pick myself up, dust, and, dust myself off, and, and I just am encouraged by this right here that when the Lord says, and when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. I love that because he shows such great confidence in us. All right, I want to swing back around to our master text and end where we began. And it says this in 2 Timothy 2, verses 20 through 22. A large house contains not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some indeed are for honorable use, but others are for common use. So if anyone cleanses himself... From what is unfit, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified, useful to the master, and prepared 
for any good work. Flee from youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace together with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. You have something to add, Donna, before we close? Yeah, come on up here. Guys, get her mic hot here. Just something that I was thinking about was that sometimes, you know, after we've gone a while and we kind of ignore the Holy Spirit saying, nah, don't do that, nah, don't do that. So after you get to a place where you've kind of ignored it a few times, you won't hear it. You won't hear it as much. That voice gets a lot quieter and so quiet that eventually you don't hear it at all. So beware of that, that you don't do that. And so I was just thinking we could have some prayer for you. You're going to do that anyway. But sometimes we may be at that place where we're not hearing the voice anymore. And so we can just pray right now and just say, Lord, I return to you. Like the scripture you used, I return to you. Help me return to you today and hear the voice of the Holy Spirit speaking to me, telling me which way to go and what not to do and etc. That's very good. That's very good. That's a great way to end our time together. Um, and Don is referring to a, a passage in the Bible that says if we keep resisting the voice of the Holy Spirit, our, our consciences get seared as with a hot iron so that we can't perceive his leading anymore. And that's a very dangerous place for you to be in. You know, I was telling the new believers class that we, we shouldn't let ourselves be troubled uh, about being vexed about the various sins that we see in our lives what we should be vexed about is when the various sins in our lives stop vexing us. If we ever get to the point where they don't even bother us anymore, that's a really dangerous place for you to be in. So thank you, Donna, for sharing that perspective. Uh, Yeah, let's stand and have some prayer for just a moment. You've been listening to the teaching ministry of Pastor Andy Robbins and Blessed Life Fellowship. For more teaching and ministry resources, go to the church website at www.blessedlifefellowship.org. Thanks for listening, and may God's grace and favor shine on you.